Thank you, worship team. So our parasha this week, Pekudeh, contains the final chapters in the book of Exodus. And we read the opening, well, actually, we read from the middle of the parsha, but the opening of the parsha begins, Ele Pekudeh HaMishkan, Mishkan Heudat, Ashir Pukad Alpi Moshe. These are the accounts of the tabernacle, even the tabernacle of the testimony, as they were rendered according to the commandment of Moses through the service of the Levites by the hand of Itamar, the son of Aharon, the priest, and Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Yehuda, made all that the Lord commanded Moses. The Torah then goes on to describe in incredible detail the completion of the tabernacle and its vessels, the completion of the, of the priestly garments, and finally about setting up the tabernacle when it is finished and how it is to be arranged. We began the book of Exodus with the enslavement of the Israelite people. We read about God's giving of the Torah, and as we trekked through, we read all about the giving of the Torah to Moses on Mount Sinai, the covenant that he made with the Jewish people, and the beginnings of the instructions for how we were to build this temple, I mean this tabernacle. These are two bookends that pull everything together, enslavement and the completion of the tabernacle, which represented God's presence. That even though God was with our people in exile, there's this sense that there's uh, also an aspect of the absence of God. But in the end, we have the Mishkan, which the root, Shechan, is where we get the word Shekhinah, right? The presence of God. Because it's God's presence. It was supposed to be a symbolic representation of God's presence in among us. As I've mentioned before, back in one of the earlier Torah portions, God says, Build for me a dwelling place so that I can live. Does it say so that I can live in it? Now he says, build this tabernacle so I can live betocham in the midst of all of you, in them, it says. The tabernacle was meant to be a physical reminder of God's presence which indwells in and among us. Now, detail in the Torah is not erratic, but intentional. The more you understand about the Bible, the more you appreciate just how carefully everything is worded and arranged. Sometimes it seems like, oh my gosh, it's just re you know, so repetitive or whatever. But in the ancient world, when everything was oral, right, not written, what does repetition do? It tells you it's important, right? It's the stuff that's the most important is the stuff that's repeated over and over and over again. Because remember, people in the ancient world didn't read this like we do today. They heard it. This is why in synagogues all over the world, when we read the Torah, it is chanted. Why would it be chanted? Because it helps you to remember it, right? This is why all of us can remember those crazy jingles, right, in commercials. Because rather than just saying, buy your car here, they give you, buy your car over it, you know, they give you some crazy mashuga a thing that won't get out of your mind so that you won't forget it, right? So this is why we sang it all the time is because originally there were no books, there were just scrolls, and not everybody had a scroll. Instead, they would get up, they would read the scroll, and then it would be discussed. Even early in the printing press, 
very few people had prayer books. Only the leader would have a prayer book, and he would do the praying, and then everyone else would respond amen. It's really only in the modern world that everybody has access to these texts and can read them whenever they want. But in reading, we also lose something. Although we just spent countless chapters detailing how the tabernacle and all its furnishings were supposed to be made, we also encountered many other types of commandments throughout the book of Exodus. As we progressed through the Torah's legal codes, we encountered a variety of mitzvot and their applications. We've all heard that there are 613 commandments in the Torah, right? One way to break it down is that two, there are 248 positive commandments and 365 negative commandments. What we mean by that is the positive means, not one that's good or bad, positive means do this, and negative means don't do this. Another way to kind of divide up all of the various mitzvot is to divide them between this concept of the chukim and the mishpatim. The chukim are the irrational commandments, the commandments that don't seem to make sense. And the mishpatim are ones that would seem to make sense to the average person, and you wouldn't necessarily argue that you would need God. I'm not saying that this is true. I'm just saying you could argue, I don't need God in order to know that, uh, you know, I should give charity or that I should set up courts of justice or don't murder or don't steal. All of these make sense, right? These are mishpatim. But then there's a whole other set of commandments in the Torah which make absolutely no sense. These are called the chukim. These are things like don't mix wool and linen. Who cares, right? <laughs> you would think, you would think, right? To a rational mind, who cares? The absolute chuk in the Torah is the red heifer. That I need to find some crazy red cow that doesn't even have a single you know, hair that's not red on it, and I'm supposed to burn it, and I'm supposed to take its ashes, mix it in water, and somehow this is supposed to purify everything else? It, from our rational minds, it doesn't make sense. And technically, there's even a third category of mitzvot called the edot. These are commandments that serve as signs and testimonies of something else, right? Why are we supposed to observe Shabbat? I'm not talking about the first commandment just says God rested and we're supposed to do it. But later, throughout the Torah, it says that for Jews, it, the Shabbat, we're supposed to keep it because it reminds us of two things, right? That in doing it, we remember our redemption from Egypt and the creation of the world. Or like tefillin, right? It says we're supposed to bind these to our hearts and, right? I mean, to our arms and to our foreheads so that we'll remember the commandments. The same with the idea of tzitzit. We're supposed to wear them as a reminder of something else, something that's greater. Even eating matzah on Pesach is about remembering something else, not necessarily the actual act itself, even though we're commanded to do the act, but the act causes us to remember. In reality, no matter how we try to break it all down, there are actually almost innumerable types of mitzvot in the Torah, governing almost every area of our lives. There are mitzvot dealing with agriculture, with business ethics, with worship, with eating, with, with marriage partners, even sexual relations. So all of the Torah itself, you could say, is universal. However, how it is actually uh, applied to each one of us is complicated. Let me ask you a question. If you're an American citizen or obviously reside in the United States, unless you're here on vacation, 
Raise your hand if you believe that you are bound by the Constitution. How many of you believe that all of us are bound by the Constitution? Great. Which part are you bound by? Really? How many of you own property? If you own property, raise your hand. How many of you don't own property? Well, so there are parts that don't apply to you then. How many of you drive a car? How many of you don't drive a car? All right, so there are a bunch of laws that don't apply to you. How many of you have children? <laughs> if you don't have children, then there's certain mitzvot, I mean, not mitzvot, laws that don't apply to you. What if you are a citizen of the United States, but you live in another country? Then it's even more complicated, right? We are all technically bound by the Constitution, but our relationship to it is individually different. If you are not a property owner, then there are certain parts of our legal system that do not individually apply to you. If you don't own a business, then there are other certain laws that don't apply. Even if you're a citizen, but you're a naturalized citizen, then there are certain things that you can't do. For example, if you're a naturalized citizen, you can't run for president. Everything is always a little more complicated than the way that we like to think about it. And this is true of the Torah as well. Although the Torah itself is universal, how it is actually applied is complicated. There are certain mitzvot that only apply if you live in the land of Israel. There are mitzvot that apply only if you are a man or if you are a woman, if you're Jewish or if you're not Jewish. And believe it or not, most of the 613 mitzvot cannot even be observed today. Why? Because the majority of the commandments have to do with a temple system and the sacrifices. And it's not because God doesn't care about that stuff anymore. It's we just don't literally have a temple. If there were a temple, there would be sacrifices, right? And we know that. Why? Because even the New Testament says when the third temple is rebuilt, and it will be and may it be soon, there will likely be at least offerings and maybe even sacrifices again. It's complicated, but there's a discussion. And guess what? This will be considered holy to God. How do you know? Because it says it will be desecrated, right? First, it's established as holy, and then it will be desecrated by the Antichrist. And you cannot desecrate something that's already desecrated, right? Desecration means something is holy, and then it's made to not be holy. And then the Messiah comes, and he makes it holy again, right? So... When we say that we are bound to the Torah, what we mean is that it's complicated. If I am a farmer, but I don't live in the land of Israel, technically, I am not bound to the agricultural laws in the Torah. I can spiritually choose to run my farm in a way that I believe is spiritually important, but I'm not obligated to do so. Do you understand the difference? If I am a Kohen, then there are a whole detailed list of commandments that I have to do. But if I'm not a Kohen, I'm not obligated to those part of the commandments. If I am a man and not a woman, then there are other mitzvot that don't specifically apply to me. Does this make sense? So even though we would say, for example, all Jews are bound to the Torah, that's true in one sense, but it's not true in another sense because there are aspects of the Torah that are not obligatory right? It's complicated. It's binding, universally speaking, but the way that it gets applied is different. 
Many of the mitzvot, which are technically not obligatory upon me, I can, of course, choose to spiritually apply and take on, but it is not the same as those which are obligatory. A Kohen who violates the laws regarding the Kohanim is sinning and may not be allowed to serve. There's a difference. For a person who's obligated to do something, if they don't do it, it is sin, right? doesn't mean that they can't, you know, that there are things that we can do which are technically, you know, remember, the word sin, we sometimes over-spiritualize it. The word sin just means anything you're supposed to not do, I guess you could say, you, you do, or vice versa, right? It's when you're not following in the ways of God. In the same way, there are certain things that may not be binding upon me for which I am free to take on, and others which would be inappropriate. For example, if I am not a Cohen, there are certain things that it would be inappropriate for me to take on, right? Why? Because the, Kohan, the Kohanut, the, the whole system of the priesthood is important and it should be protected. We've never really had the fortune at uh, Beth Amunah to really have knowledgeable Kohanim, so whenever we get to things like the Aaronic Benediction, we don't we haven't really participated, at least in our community, of the blessings of what that's like. But it's a huge blessing when you have the opportunity to have koanim in your midst to do for them to do the Aaronic Benediction. Believe it or not, when a Kohen does the Aaronic Benediction, it's different than the way somebody who's not Jewish does the benediction. Why? Because, huh? What did I say? Sorry. When somebody who's not a Kohen <laughs> says the ironic benediction, it's different from somebody who's a Kohen. Does that make sense? All right. So it, it's actually not an issue of Jewish. It has to do an issue of whether somebody's a Kohen or not. There, I know this is complicated, and sometimes it's uncomfortable, but guess what? There's a lot of stuff in the Bible that makes us uncomfortable. We like to point to all the stuff that we like, but nobody likes to point out the stuff that's uncomfortable. The reason we take such care in understanding the commands of God is because it matters to God and it mattered to Yeshua. All throughout John's writings, for example, I just did a whole sermon series on the letters of John, and we see a phrase that appears over and over and over again, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, a lot of people try to spiritualize that and say, oh, no, 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 he's not talking about the Torah. He's exactly talking about the Torah, right? When the New Testament was being written, there was no New Testament because it was being written. So when, they, so when Paul writes, for example, all scripture is God-breathed, what is he talking about? The Tanakh, right? You know, the Torah and the prophets. So when he says, if you love me, you will keep my mitzvot, nobody was going around, which, which mitzvot did he mean? <laughs> Everybody knew. If you were Jewish and you heard, you're supposed to observe the mitzvot, everybody it didn't take a rocket scientist in order to figure out, ah, he's just telling us that we should really be doing what we're supposed to be doing, <laughs> right? So not only do we want to be obedient, we also want to observe and apply the mitzvot as accurately and as appropriately as possible. Because every mitzvah is divine, even if we don't understand it or we struggle with how it should be observed. And every mitzvah in the Torah has hidden meaning. For example, regarding the tabernacle, God created everything with both, both justice and mercy. The Torah reminds us that the tabernacle was made with both gold and silver, which is out of the reading for this week. 
that along with God's justice, there is also God's mercy. Both of these colors, the, the, the gold and the silver, represent one represents mercy, the other one represents justice. And the, by following the commands in building the tabernacle, the people created a place for God's presence to dwell. Regarding the Ark of the Covenant is another example. Just as this beautiful, this beautiful and extremely important vessel began as an empty wooden box, perhaps you also feel empty, abandoned, and left on your own. Yet just as hammered gold was applied to the Ark, transforming it into one of the most beautiful works of art ever fashioned, so too Hashem is at work to turn what seems empty in you into something beautiful and holy. Scripture tells us that trials produce character. You might feel like you're getting hammered right now, but maybe that is God working out the dross in your life and shaping the gold within you into something special, beautiful, and incredibly important. We must remember to never despise humble beginnings because if you were to have seen that crude wooden box at the beginning of its construction, you would have neverly, you would have easily dismissed it and possibly would not have been able to recognize that in the end it would be the beautiful Ark of the Covenant, one of the most important ritual objects that were ever made, right? If you were to have seen it at the beginning of Bezalel and Aholiab's work, Really, God commanded you to build this? I'm not done. <laughs> right? Don't judge it until it's finished. So God is doing with us. The commandments and their details matter because they're beautiful and they're holy. And although aspects of the Torah are universal, some are also very specific in their application. As we all wrestle together with the various commandments, it is important to seek God's guidance and his spirit in the way that we should adopt their observance into our lives. It is also important to consider both the universal application as well as the specific cultural and ethnic context in which they were given. If you are Jewish, you need to seek God regarding your covenantal responsibilities. If you're not Jewish, but called to sojourn among the Jewish people as a Messianic Gentile, welcome aboard. We want you to know that you are an indispensable and valuable part of this community. But that role also comes with its own responsibility and humility. As we wrestle with together, we're supposed to be a reflection of what God is doing spiritually, of bringing together Israel and the nations in relationship, not sameness, but in relationship, so that together, through our diversity, we create a tapestry of something beautiful. What makes a tapestry beautiful is not that everything's the same color. It's the fact that it's a diverse amount of color. And the more color, usually the more beautiful it becomes. But it is only beautiful because it's woven together, right? If it was just all blue, that could be nice. If it was all red, that could also be nice. But the blue and the red and the gold and the green and the gewalt, that's what makes it amazing. As a community, we have the opportunity to wrestle together with all of this and what it looks like. It's important that we do this and ask the difficult, uncomfortable, hard questions because it matters. 
if you think that we come together, I'm not saying you believe this, but it may, you might think that we just come together to have fun, which having fun is important. <laughs> but also we come together, I don't know about you, but I believe that it matters. Even as a Jewish person, there are things that I would do if, you know, like, let's say, God forbid, it turned out all this stuff is nothing. All right, fine. There are certain things that I would do just because it's, it's important as a people to keep being Jewish together. But there are other things I wouldn't do if I didn't believe that God actually commanded us to do them. So much of what I do, it's because I believe that I have a responsibility, a covenantal responsibility before God to do these things. And that's why it's important as a community that we wrestle with these things. But we do it in love. We do it in unity. We do it together. Because I believe together, in that diversity, we create something beautiful. Amen? Avinu, our Father, I thank you so much for the work that you had in mind from the beginning. That by choosing the Jewish people, that they were to be a light to the nations. And that together, they would do something amazing. A sense of mutual blessing in which both sides, Israel and the nations, that all of us together bring from our wealth of our backgrounds together to form a tapestry. I know it's easy to think that all of us, that it would be so much easier if all of us were the same, but the blessing is in the diversity. Thank you, God, for creating every single people group, every single culture, every single nation. Thank you, God, for making Israel and calling Israel. Because this is what the kingdom is about. It's about Israel and the nations together bringing about the time of the messianic age. Every tribe every tongue, worshiping before the throne. This is why Sukkot is so important, is it's the one holiday that everybody will observe. Help us to think bigger. Help us to understand that prophetically you are doing something that is amazing and deep. Help myself, help all of us not to get bogged down in the, the, sometimes the petty details, which really honestly are not as big of a deal. But help us to think big, to think prophetically, to think global, to think in the future that what we're doing matters and what we do affects and hastens the return of Mashiach. Help us to prepare your way. May your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray all of this in the name of Yeshua. Amen.